What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast and the inaugural retro review episode. So what I'm looking at right now is I, I watch a lot. I go to the movies roughly every day with MoviePass. So there's pretty much always a new release to look at and review. But sometimes, you know, I'm watching movies, new movies that are just, I don't know, unexciting, that don't inspire me to talk about them. Uh, or they're just bad and, you know, I don't want to add that, take the time out to, to review them in that way. So, I'm also always watching other movies when I'm at home. And the primary way I do this is through Letterboxd uh, scavenger hunts. So, my previous previous episode... I review. I went through and previewed all the thirty movies that I was going to be watching during the month of November. It is currently November twenty-first. I have seen <clears throat> twenty-two of the thirty films on my November scavenger hunt, uh, as well as nine of the sixteen films on my mini scavenger hunt that started this month. And I don't think I'm going to continue to do the mini scavenger hunts. It's just, it's too many movies uh, that I'm forcing myself to see. Because I cannot fill enough of the criteria with releases that are coming out. So, and as nice as it is to have some sort of a direction of what to be watching, you know, I do want a little bit more of a leeway. Uh, So I'm probably just going to go back to the original scavenger hunts every month so most so all the movies that i'm going to be talking about today come from the scavenger hunt so you hear about them today and then when i do the end of the month scavenger top 10 review you're probably gonna hear one or two of them again when that happens so yeah uh, so, the first movie to talk about today is Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall uh, came out ages ago. And by that, I mean 1994. It satisfied the task of a film starring Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt and his glowing blonde locks are a huge selling point. Uh, it also stars Anthony Hopkins, Aidan Quinn, Julia Ormond, and Henry Thomas. Um, and I'll read the brief synopsis from Letterboxd. An epic tale of three brothers and their father living in the remote wilderness of 1900s USA and how their lives are affected by nature, history, war, and love. So, this movie... Uh, that synopsis is kind of misleading because it's not really about that, except in the most vaguest sense. 
What it really is about is how Brad Pitt, Aidan Quinn, and Henry Thomas's characters, they're all brothers, and they all fawn and drool over Julie Ormond. Now, I get it. Julie Ormond is beautiful. She's a talented actor. She gives a great performance in this movie. And she comes across as incredibly likable, incredibly intelligent, and you know, desirable, and, like, that's kind of the role she's playing. And so the movie is just kind of the three brothers wanting to be with her and then taking turns being with her. And that's not 100% true, but, like, she starts off with Henry Thomas, who you may recognize as the kid from E.T. And then... He dies, so and Aiden Quinn's in love with her, but she's in love with Brad Pitt, who's like, yeah, okay. So then she's with Brad Pitt, who then leaves her like two-thirds of the way through the movie, and then when he doesn't come back, she finds Aiden Quinn to be with him, and then Brad Pitt comes back, and there's like... Uh, like gushy like oh what if we had been together but we shouldn't have been together and you left me and I understand that and blah 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 blah. end of the movie Uh, you know like it doesn't (laughs) it's so like the movie there's a lot happening in the movie outside of Julia Armand and I wish that the movie didn't feel like it was just constantly creating scenarios where she'll be with a different brother. That's all I felt watching it. And that was really frustrating. Um, you know, it just... It just... I, it just really bothered me. And I, I, I did not enjoy watching this movie. It's also... It's long. It's over two hours. And no amount of... Brad Pitt's hair waving in the breeze is enough to like overcome that. Um, there's also a character in the movie that ultimately marries Brad Pitt after he's married to Julia Armand's character, and she's a uh, uh, let me see, half Native American, completely Native American, I think half Native American. I can't remember if she's the daughter of the white slash Native American uh, couple in the movie. It's been a week. It's been more than a week. It's been nine days since I saw this. But either way, her name's Isabel Two because Anthony Hopkins, who plays the brother's dad, uh, his wife's name was Isabel, and his wife died. And this girl is named Isabel Two, which I found to be incredibly insulting, regardless of the accuracy that it presented, like completely offensive, I thought, perhaps. So, like, I just like, like it's one thing to be like David Junior. But, like, what if your name was David Two Smith? Like, your middle name was Two. You know, like, how 
selfish and uh, conceited of a parent do you have to be? Like, Junior just isn't good enough. You have to na- literally name your kid two as if they're the second version of you. I, I don't know. I just, it felt really s- strange to me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of this movie. I'm, I'm really not. I, let's see, I ended up giving it a seven. Like, I give it an awful score. You know, it's got a Rotten Tomato score of 56. And uh, I believe, like, it was nominated for three Oscars. It won for cinematography. And, like, it looks nice. I'm not going to, you know, I can't begrudge it that. Like, it's made well. The directing's solid. Like, most of the performances are good. But the subject matter and the plot just completely lost me. I had no interest in them. And I just found them to be very unappealing on pretty much every level so legends of the fall uh easily the worst of the five movies i'm going to talk about today um so let's move on to the next movie which is bugsy uh bugsy satisfied the task of Film, a film that came out the year I was born, uh, which is uh, 1991. And if I can find it on here. Is it in the other one? Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, so uh, I'll read the brief synopsis. New York gangster Ben Bugsy Siegel takes a brief business trip to Los Angeles. A sharp-dressing womanizer with a foul temper, Siegel doesn't hesitate to kill or maim anyone crossing him. In L.A., the life, the movies, and most of all strong-willed, and most of all strong-willed Virginia Hill detain him while his family wait back home. Then, a trip to a rundown gambling joint at a spot in a desert known as Las Vegas gives him his big idea. So, this is a movie about a gangster who ultimately wants to create the first casino slash hotel in Las Vegas. Played by Warren Beatty, uh, Virginia Hill is Annette Benning, also starring Harvey Keitel, Ben Kingsley, Elliot Gould, Joe Mantegna, B.B. Newworth, um, and then other names that I don't recognize. So, you know, very good cast. Uh, you know, and Warren Beatty, very hit or miss with me. I think I think he's a very strong actor, uh, but you know, some of his movies just have not don't completely mesh well with me. And this is one of them. I I was back and forth pretty much the whole time because. His performance is good. The supporting cast is strong. Annette Benning, I think, is absolutely wonderful in this movie. From her acting to her dresses to just the way she and Beatty interact, I think, is really... Uh, there's a lot of great chemistry there. And I think that for me personally... That aspect of the movie was 
definitely overshadowed every aspect of the plot. You know, as interesting as the start of Las Vegas could be, I didn't find it very much enjoyable to watch. It was just kind of happening around the parts that I did find interesting. And that's kind of where I'm left for it. You know, it's got solid critical scores. Let's see. It has a Rotten Tomato score of 85, so pretty high. And, you know, it... You know, it's a gangster movie, and, you know, I like gangster movies. Not as much as I think other predominantly critics do. You know, like, Goodfellas, I think is good, but it's not great to me. And just like Bugsy, I didn't, you know, I just, it, it ended up falling just to the left of average, you know, just just shy of average for me. You know, I gave it a 48. You know, there's definitely a lot of merit here. There's a lot of good stuff going on, but it never really felt fully cohesive. I didn't feel like any of the Annette Benning parts of the movie connected with the casino parts of the movie, which by the end of the movie, like it doesn't There's the grand opening of the casino, and then, like, some shit hits the fan, and so he closes it down for, like, a week, presumably. That's, like, what he tells everybody. And so we don't even actually get to see it open or succeed in any way in the movie itself. And so there's no payoff to that plot for me. Um, You know, it's... Another part, uh, thing, and this is kind of a diff- uh, tangent, but I was really bothered by just how orange Warren Beatty was. Like, he was self-tanning so hard. He looked like George Hamilton. I kid you not, he was the embodiment of George Hamilton in all the worst ways. Now, I know this is based on a real event, so if... Uh, if Siegel's character, like the real Ben Siegel, Bugsy, did look like that, then fine, you know, that's fine. I just thought it looked, uh, it just really threw me out of the movie any time. Like, there's like, I think one or two scenes where he's like actually tanning and kind of, you know, touching on how it, I think there's a scene where he's saying something along the lines of you know he, he it's not good enough like the tanning bed doesn't work the way he wants it to or something like that but I just I didn't understand that like it's never really addressed we don't get why he feels that way or did we or there might have been a throw kind of a throwaway line where he references what that why he doesn't want to be pale but now i can't remember if that's true or not um there might have been 
I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't know. I think Beatty's better when he's also directing. You know, one of my my favorite Beatty performance movies slash role is uh, Bullworth. That is the craziest movie, and it's crazy in all the good best ways. And I think that Bugsy, as well cast as he might be, I do think that the script and a lot of the things around him fall short. Uh, now, I know that Kaitel and Kingsley both got supporting actor nominations for this movie. That was really surprising. I felt like neither of them had a huge impact on the movie. But... I mean, I, I I don't know. I, that's just me, and I don't know. That's just that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. One man, I'm one guy. I I can't I can't do it all. So that's Bugsy, forty eight for Bugsy. Um, all right, so. Next, we're going to talk about Kess. Uh, I did mention Kess briefly in the previous episode uh, in regards to the David Bradley correction that I had to make. Uh, but now we're kind of actually going to go into the movie itself. And Kess is a Ken Loach film. And... Probably the most well-known Ken Loach film is The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Although Kess has been seen more often on Letterboxd. Or it's more popular. So you've got Kess, I, Daniel Blake, which came out this year. Yeah, that's his film from this year. Um, a couple of others like Sweet 16, Looking for Eric, Jimmy's Hall. Uh... I don't know. He's got he's got a pretty extensive filmography. This is only the second film of his that I've seen, so I'm not really entirely clued into his uh, techniques and his whether or not even even if he whether or not he, he is a uh, an auteur, I, I don't really know. So the film, uh, so the synopsis says. A young English working class boy spends his free time caring for and training his pet falcon. And that's pretty much what the movie's about. Uh, the conflict arises from pretty much every single person in his life rebelling and not rebelling, that's the wrong word, uh, attacking him. This poor kid who really just trying to like do his own thing and everyone gives him shit for it every single person and it's kind of it, it no it, it is very depressing to watch kids bully him at school teachers treat him like he has no future his i believe i want to say like i don't think it's his father it's like stepfather maybe maybe it is his dad it's the the older male that lives with him at home uh, you know, berates him. All everybody that he meets just hates it, hates him. And 
we're not really given too much of a reason why other than he's like he's just a dreamer you know he just he sees the world differently than everybody else and some people just can't handle that and so he finds refuge and solace with uh, this falcon that he finds and trains and it's kind of beautiful you know the the scenes where he's uh, training and, and playing with the falcon uh, the titular Cass are just so rewarding there's such there's so much to be happy about and it's not like the scenes are overly impressive like he's just like the falcon flies away and brings something back or he's twirl it's like I don't know. It's not like he's doing anything particularly outstanding or incredible with the Falcon, but just the joy that he's experiencing when he's not being beaten up or ridiculed is so is so rewarding in and of itself. Yeah, I... I really like this movie. It's so it came out in 1969. It is just under two hours long, and it's got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's it's one of those like much older than the Rotten Tomatoes system ever has been, and because of that, it doesn't have that many reviews and they're all positive so it's got a hundred percent but i do think it is a great movie you know i gave it i gave it an 82 and you know i think that you know it's it's in english it's an english film that doesn't sound english at all you know i it was weird because I watched it with subtitles and one of the first scenes you like the two characters are talking to each other and I was picking up a couple of words but not all the words but then and like the words I was picking up matched the subtitles and so I wasn't sure at first whether or not they were like fusing languages or just some of the words in the whatever language it was happened to be very similar or the same as English. So it was kind of difficult to become accustomed to what was actually being said. Although I think that it, you know, it definitely became easier as time went on to know what was happening. Uh, yeah. So, I I don't know. I I don't have too much to say about it. You know, it's a very small, understated film that it just follows this uh, boy as he goes through his life trying to do what he wants, really. And everybody keeps telling him that he can't. And that sucks. And that's a shame. So I don't I don't know. I don't really have much else to say other than 
I think it's the best of the five movies that I'm going to talk about uh, in this episode. And I would recommend it to people. You know, if you liked The One That Shakes the Barley, if you did end up, you know, if you saw I, Daniel Blake and like that, you'd probably enjoy this. And it's a, it's a really good movie. Cass, 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 Cass. Uh, next, we have the 1984 film uh, Starman. Now, Starman. Oh, boy. What to say about this movie? So, this is, this is a John Carpenter movie. Unlike every other John Carpenter movie. You know, it's not like The Thing. It's not Halloween. It's Starman. And it's predicated on the idea that when we started, like, launching shit into space, we sent out messages for communication, you know, like welcoming other people or other aliens to to come here and so the movie says all right here they come in the form of jeff bridges baby clone thing uh which is is very odd so he he embodies the visage of a person that was married to karen allen so she's the main female and Jeff Bridges died, her husband, but then alien Jeff Bridges comes along and freaks her the fuck out. But, uh, you know, then she, over the course of the movie, he's basically, you know, at first she's, like, very scared of him, thinks he's there to, like, hurt her or do something, but she becomes, she comes along and, like, kind of learns to accept him and, you know, understands him better. And they end up on this road trip to Arizona, where he's going to meet his species. You know, and there's some things that are kind of glossed over here. You know, exactly why he is dying so quickly. Like, he's kind of, like, degrading. Like, it's like an exponential decay sort of thing. And so, but, like, then there's this secondary side angle of like the nasa government types who are who like see the spaceship or like asteroid that lands and because the asteroid like changed course they it it, like erased suspicion and so you've got uh charles martin smith and the rest of the like NASA government types searching for him in such a way that, you know, it's like, well, we invited him here. And this is even said in the movie, like we invited him here and now we're just going to like capture him and like test him or whatever it is that goes on behind closed doors. And that's really shitty, (laughs) you know, like, but you know, that's exactly what would happen if we did find a real alien 
if we've already found a real alien, we're like testing the shit out of this thing behind closed doors. And it sucks. Because <laughs> he's just a guy. Just Jeff Bridges. And cannot be stated enough. Like, Jeff Bridges gives a great performance here as the star man. You know, he just the earliest the early sequences of the film where he's literally learning to be like a human come out so naturally like it's crazy to think that he actually knows what he's supposed to what he could actually be doing because it looks like he's never been a human being before it's really well well performed you know the the nasco nomination was totally deserved i Really respect that choice. Um, and, you know, I actually had a kind of a negative reaction when I was watching this movie. I, you know, I, I like John Carpenter. And while I haven't enjoyed all the movies that he's done, I am predominantly a fan of his work. And this is such a different movie than everything else he's put out that I was genuinely surprised to learn that it was a John Carpenter film. You know, like when I like looked it up on IMDb halfway through. But I think Carpenter his films don't always have like the best story. You know, he can direct the hell out of them. He has great effects. Uh, he gets really good performances from his actors. But I think that, you know, he doesn't... Does he... I don't think he writes the stories. Um, well, he wrote They Live. He wrote Halloween 2. I don't know. I, I feel like he doesn't, doesn't actually write most of them. Maybe all of them. I guess I can look. I can give you a better. Like he's directed. Oh, maybe he has written most of them. I don't know. I think his writing is the weakest part of his repertoire. <coughs> and I think more so. More so in. Um in Starman than in most most of his other films this really shows and so when I originally I was kind of like uh I don't do I like this I don't know if I like this but but then like the more I thought about it it's it's not really about the the road trip that's not really the story the story is just Karen Allen's character learning to like and then accept and even love this alien that has impersonate is impersonating her dead husband like that's really freaky so it's 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 really interesting to see like if she can move on from something that's still in front of her like you know it's one thing to move past an old a family relative or 
a loved one that's passed away when they're gone. But how do you really move on from someone when you see them every day? You know, it's like, you know, breaking up with a coworker that you still have to go to work and see. It's it's very it's a really interesting angle to look at something. And like that's the great thing about sci-fi that that it really allows you to do. You know, it's <clears throat> I watched a movie it's been a while. I don't remember the name of it, but the plot was kind of similar in that it's a woman who loses her husband and then meets someone who looks pretty similar to him and she begins an affair with this new person but she's constantly haunted by images and memories of her husband because of how similar this person looks to the husband and so it kind of looks at the same kind of ideas that Starman is approaching and I, I, I like that you can do this kind of thing with star, or sorry, with sci-fi films. You can open them up and use them as uh, parables to such interesting insights and ideas, because you're generally not going to have this kind of an experience in real life. But they're interesting to think and talk about. So I ended up giving Starman um, a 64. Uh, it's got an 81 on Rotten Tomatoes. And I w- like I said, I was initially a lot lower. I was probably in the high 40s, low 50s range by the end of the movie. But then the more reflection I did, the more concrete... I realized that I actually felt a lot better about it than I did. I thought I felt, and that's that's a testament to Carpenter. You know, like, it's it's interesting that such a movie can a movie like that can be so affecting. You know, any movie that stays with you is changing you in some way and the more you think about this these movies the more you dwell on them the more important they seem to be you know it's like i remember after watching it follows a couple years ago i my roommate and his fiance and myself at the time spent like an hour, hour and a half discussing the logistics of the monster in that movie and like how you would use it, what you would do if you were being followed by it and like how do the rules work on it, you know? And so that was like the an indication to me that yeah, this is this is a special movie. This movie did something unique and pretty great because we're still talking about it and Starman feels the same way I I don't think it's quite to that extent and some of that probably has to do with the fact that it's 32 years old now and it's not like I went and saw it at the movie theater with somebody else that I could have talked to about afterwards 
but it did linger with me, and I don't think it's completely gone away just yet. You know, I watched it six days ago, so I'll be interested to see if, like, I have a recurring memory of it to go forward. So, Starman. And finally, uh, the fifth film I'm going to talk about today is Kiss Me Deadly. Now, Kiss Me Deadly is a sort of pseudo-noir film from 1955 directed by Robert Aldrich who is a pretty respected director uh, my favorite of hit film of his is uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane I think that's a beautiful film that is incredibly well written and so I was really looking forward to Kiss Me Deadly and uh, to kind of just come out and say it I didn't like it I did not like it nope 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 uh it's slow it's I think I thought I found it was poorly paced and I did not have a good time watching it it was kind of I I was interested in the first like 10-15 minutes and then every minute after that, I just continued to lose interest. And I just, I, I was so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, there's not much more to say. You know, I think, like, I was so disinterested. I, you know, I felt, I think I was, like, doing other things, watching it, and I wasn't, I couldn't even be bothered to pay attention, and, like, I'd turn out, I'd, like, I kept watching, but, you know, I was constantly just didn't care. Nothing in the movie really felt strong to me. You know, I, I didn't think the acting was particularly great. Uh, you know, the music or the setting or the effects or the you know any of it nothing stood out to me except you know just it kind of has this place in history in the noir genre and you know the mid 50s were kind of the end of the noir genre for the most part and this film came along and sort of posed the noir genre in a completely new light and I think you know it has to be the case that you know I haven't seen a lot of noir films from the 40s 50s 30s I've seen some you know maybe more than most people probably more than most people my age but still a very small sample size you know when you consider that there were tons of those kinds of movies back then so the idea that this film went in a different direction and hit that same genre with a completely new perspective is something that does not resonate with me at all because I can't recognize that change. I don't 
realize I can't realize that it's doing things differently when I don't know what you know the standard type of way is. But that being said, I can still respect that it is an important film in terms of the history of cinema. And I think that aspect of it is what made me give it the score I gave it. So like I probably would have given it a much lower score than I ultimately came out with. So it has a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. I ended up giving it a 45. So I think it's I think it's a little bad and I didn't like it. And while my critique obviously comes off as a much lower score than a 45, I think that the significance and importance of it, I, I sort of felt that once or twice, not enough to fully sway me to hit up to the 50s, but enough to kind of give it a less disrespectful score than a 45. So, Kiss Me Deadly. So, I, I went through these in order of when I watched them. So, Legend of the Fall is the furthest back of the films that I've seen. Kiss Me Deadly is the most recent one. Uh, as recent as three days ago, in fact. And I honestly can't tell you, like, a single thing about it other than the ending, which was shocking. And then I learned that there's actually a set, different alternate ending to the film that sounds better to me. I, I like the idea of them not surviving the end, why, which is what the alternate ending provides, but the original and then re-edited versions both use the survived ending. I think that the alternate ending would definitely play a lot better with me personally but you know that's just that's kind of a just a personal taste thing and you know both endings are fine and they both have this big spectacle in them which i think mm, is is serviceable definitely serviceable for sure yeah so that is basically in a nutshell how I kind of envisioned these retro review episodes to go. A little bit of discussion about each film, kind of some significance about like the movie itself, it coming out, who's in it, things like that. Uh, I apologize if I kind of sound somewhat unfocused. I'm incredibly exhausted and tired. So... I'm going to go to sleep, like, right now. But uh, thank you for listening. Again, just kind of to run down the, these five films from <coughs> worst to best uh, based on my ratings. You've got Legends of the Fall with a 7, Kiss Me Deadly with a 45, Bugsy with a 48, Starman with a 64, and Cass with an 82. Really go see Cass. I do think it's a special film. The rest are very hit or miss. I think Starman 
warrants a viewing, but everything else kind of, I, I would just skip. And uh, yeah, so that's been a, this episode, the first retro review episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, I love all of you people that listen. And, you know, all my contact information can be found at circlefilm.com. Email me at circlefilm at gmail.com. And as always, have a week.